0: Well, well, I'm going to be talking about Matthew 14 today. And Matthew 14 um, I have is a passage I've come across over the years a few times. However, I found the Lord has been stirring it over and over in my heart recently as I came across it. And I've been thinking about it and praying into it. And um, Matthew 14 gives us a picture of uh, a day in the life of Jesus. Now, I I've always imagined what it would be like to live with Jesus or to watch Jesus from morning to to noon and to see what he was like and how he spent his time and how he spent his energy but if you want to have an idea of what 24 hours looked like for Jesus read Matthew 14 and you have an idea because you see what his whole day was like and uh it's pretty intense because um you know some people think ministry is for the faint-hearted and people who have nothing else to do In fact, my wife makes a joke joke about that that some what was that joke again Oh, yeah, 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 that's it. That's it. So, because my siblings have got maths degrees and masters, and, and have they got, yeah, one of them, I'm not even sure if they've got masters. Anyway, they've got all these, de- the, you know, teachers and things like that. And the, my, my, my wife was like, well, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the genius genius skipped me, so I went into ministry. <laughs> now, <laughs> it's a joke, it's a joke, she's saying. <laughs> But some people think ministry is just kind of like for people that have nothing else to do, and they just go, in if I, I, fact, if I'm not sure, I've not looked into the statistics, but the dropout rate of people who give up their churches and get, fall out of just doing what God's called them to, from what I last remember, someone talking about is actually a lot higher than we realize so there's a lot of challenges in ministry, and uh, you see how Jesus handled that, and how Jesus handled ministry and life is actually very, very challenging for all of us today. So I'm going to give us a background. Where I want to, I want to read uh, uh, Matthew 14:22, and uh, 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 some some bits of that passage. Um, In fact, I'm going to go ahead and read that, and then I'll give us some background uh, to this. Okay, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, and while he sent the multitude away... Sorry, and Jesus made his, uh, his disciples get into the boat before him to go to the other side while he sends the multitude away. And when he has sent the multitude away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there, uh, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled and said, it's a ghost. So they cried out for fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And, Jesus, and, and Peter came out of the boat. He walked on water to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had gone to the boat, the wind ceased. Amen. Amen. The Lord blessed the reading of his word. Now, um, if you read from verse... Uh, one in chapter 14, uh, you you read about the story of John the Baptist, and how John the Baptist died, uh, and uh, I'm not going to go into the details, but Herod basically got seduced in this performance dance. Uh, by this girl uh, who is the daughter of the lady he's married to, and uh, he told her, I'm going to give you anything you want, half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And uh, so she went back to a mom and asked, you know, what should I ask for from the king? And she said, ask for John the Baptist's head. So she asked for John the Baptist's head, and John the the Baptist is beheaded, which is really sad. Um, Now in verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Now, if you read the story on, you find that Jesus was intending to get to the other side of the sea of the of Galilee, and um, has he. As he is on his way to get to the other side, uh, the multitudes see him as going to the other side, so they kind of run ahead of him, and by the time he gets there, there's a multitude of people, and then we have the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000, you know, and that's when that happened. Now, I want to draw your attention first to this verse in uh, verse 13, where it says, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. Now... I don't know why we tend to think Jesus was emotionless and Jesus was above pain and, and feeling. Now, Jesus has just heard the news about his cousin is beheaded. Okay, are you with me? Anyone alive here today? Jesus has just heard the news that his cousin has been beheaded. If you heard such a news, what would you do? Okay, I mean, someone said start crying. <laughs> well, I, 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 I think... And the text implies he was wanting to be alone by himself. I think probably to grieve the fact that he's just lost his cousin. Okay? So imagine this with me. Jesus is wanting to get alone to grieve the fact that he's just lost his cousin. And he's trying to find a quiet place. Okay? He crosses over this sea. He gets over to the other side. And... While he's trying to get some rest to actually just make sense of what just happened, there is 5,000 people waiting. If I know 5,000, 10,000 people, because when you're t- counting women and children, waiting for him to minister to them. And of course, Jesus isn't like, you know, some ministers today like, I've just had a bad day. Can you just leave me alone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are many people with big ministries today that would react like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Jesus is, as the Bible says, he's moved with compassion okay and then he starts to minister to them and we don't know how long he ministers to them but he ministered to them till evening okay and then you know the disciples are like send them away you know let them get food and then jesus said to them you get food for them and you know the famous story of the five thousand all the four gospels record the five thousand the feeding of the five thousand because it was kind of like an incredible miracle and something very significant even in jesus's ministry now jesus fed the five thousand okay Now, it's evening. It's late. Now, if you read some of the other uh, um, accounts of this story, um, John says, after he fed the 5,000, the multitudes wanted to make him king. Okay, because they're like, this must be our Messiah now, and um, I'm assuming that the disciples had a wrong perspective of who the Messiah is meant to, what the Messiah was meant to look like in the first coming. You know, they were expecting a conquering king, and so the disciples were probably wanting to be in agreement with the multitudes who are wanting to make him king, okay? Now, we'll come to verse 22, and he says, immediately... Jesus made, everyone say made. made. Okay, that means he constrained them, the new king, James says. He strongly urged them. That's not Jesus just telling them to get into the boat. He was like, okay, guys, we need to get into the boat. The disciples are probably like, we're going to make the most of this opportunity. They're going to make you king, and this is it. This is what we've been believing for. But he's like, no, you need to get in the boat now. So he's telling the disciples, get into the boat, to go over to the other side. Now, this is what I find really interesting about this. Uh, Well, a few things, really. Uh, Jesus has had a very busy day. Um, Jesus is uh, emotionally drained. He's just finished ministering to 10,000 people. He's physically drained. Okay? Now, do you read what he said and what the Bible says he did in verse um, 23? When he had sent the multitudes away, just pause there a second. So Jesus, emotionally drained, physically drained, decided to invest in himself spiritually. Are you with me? Physically drained, emotionally drained, but he's not just going to flesh out and watch a movie. I've had a hard day. I, I just, I just, I just need to do something. To just make my flesh feel good. Okay. His next response is to send the multitudes away, which is an interest, which is really interesting for people like me in ministry, because he has just been ministering, and it seems like today what we are after many times in ministry, where Jesus is trying to send the multitudes away, we're mostly trying to gather the multitudes constantly, and we're being more obsessed with the multitudes. It seems to me like Jesus knew the time to send the multitudes away. He knew when to send the multitudes away. And one of the points I want to make, especially for those, actually, I think this connects with everyone, is do you know when to send the multitudes away? Are you discerning in your walk with God to know when to disconnect? From everything you are doing for God to be with God. Because our, our effectiveness for God is not in what we do for him as it is in being with him. Okay, don't get me wrong. We are called to do. But our doing comes from our being. Okay, We can't be a people who are constantly chasing just after the activity of wanting to serve God and get all these things done for God, but we're running on empty, we're running on dry, and we're running on the applause of man. If Jesus was running on the applause of man, he would have been made Messiah, and he would have missed God-ordained purpose and God-ordained way to reign as the Lord, as the King, okay? And which is similar to kind of what Satan was offering him. Remember when Satan came to him and said, you know, all this I can give to you if you just bow down to me. Remember that story, right? Satan was offering Jesus God in, God's intended purpose for Jesus. However, Satan was offering it to Jesus without the process. Yeah. Wow. Satan was offering God's intended purpose to Jesus without the cross. I was trying to offer to Jesus what God already ordained for him to have, which is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, but he only said that after the cross, after the resurrection, okay? So many of us, we want the shortcut, we want the quick way, we want to just get through things quickly, and God, okay, you said you're going to do this in my life, you gave me this prophetic word, I want you to do it now, and we're mostly very focused on the external things, as opposed to realizing that it seems to me, in my journey with God, that God is more interested in the eternal, in the internal conditions and the process than it is the end result, because he can, he can make the end result just like that, okay? However, he's interested in the process of us becoming like him and being formed into his image. He likes seeing us become like him. He's like a father that likes to see his children look like him. And the news flash for us today is many of us don't look like him. Yeah. <laughs> many of us look like us. We look like the world and we look like all the things that Christian ministry and Christian celebrity status and Christian television tells us you need to be like when you're a superstar Christian preacher who has got whatever ABCD, you know. We want to look like all this external stuff, but we're not concerned about the process, okay? And God wants to take us through something. Now, Jesus was able to be sensitive enough to know when to disconnect from the multitudes. Are you sensitive enough to know when to disconnect from the multitudes? From the activity you are doing for God, and I always love to point out this, that um, you can be passionate about God's work and not passionate about God himself. There's a massive difference. Uh, You know, I've done this long enough, you know, in ministry, and, you know, in fact, you may not be in ministry like me, but you may be doing something you know God's called you to do. It might be as a school teacher. It might be as an elder. It might be as a deacon. It might be as whatever, The fact that you're passionate about doing those things, might be as an evangelist. The fact that you're doing those things does not mean you're passionate about God. You can be passionate about God's work and not God himself. The true test of if you're passionate about God himself is how passionate are you to be alone with him? now it's really interesting because it's not like god is opposed to us doing ministry it's not like god's opposed to us serving because you know you know he's he's told us to go into the world and preach the gospel and we cannot deny that we have been created for good works but He says we shall be witnesses that's what the bible says now it didn't say we shall do witnessing don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with the doing. In fact, we're called to preach the gospel. But I believe there's something about being before the doing that makes the doing more effective. Okay? Not just trying to copy methods, but we are being the witnesses of God. And from our being, the doing flows. That is why the commandments, Jesus says, the two great commandments. To love the God with all your heart. It's a picture of intimacy with God. And then to love your neighbor as yourself is a picture of ministry and activity. It's not the other way around. Activity does not come before intimacy. All fruitfulness flows out of intimacy with the Father. Amen, somebody. And there are no shortcuts to that. So Jesus learned how to disconnect from the multitudes. Now, I found this really interesting because uh, the multitudes also, to me, represents uh, all the distractions, all the busyness in my mind when I decide I want to pray. When you decide you want to pray, are you disconnecting from the multitudes? The multitude of thoughts, worries, anxieties. Have you ever spent time praying and realized you haven't prayed? <laughs> because you're still with the multitudes, that's why. The major part of prayer for me is getting past the multitude, getting past the distractions, getting past the thoughts, getting past all these things on my mind. When I can get past that, I am beginning to pray. When you can get past that, you're beginning to really press into something deep. And many times, it takes a while to get past that. In fact, for most people, when you're spending only 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you've not really pressed into anything. You're still in the outer courts. You've not, you've not pushed into the deep place. If you want to go deep with God, it's not going to take five minutes, people. It's not going to take 10 minutes either. <laughs> Rob said 15 minutes. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. The point is, we don't put a time on it like, you know, the, the quantity. The point is, if you want quality with God, you have to invest a lot of quantity of time. If you want to have a quality relationship with God, you have to invest a lot of quantity of time. And when you have quality of relationship with God, for real, I don't mean you heard a preacher said, for real. When you have quality of relationship with God, you're going to want to have more of that quality. Which is going to lead to more quantity. Are you with me? So, uh, in the West, I don't think we have come to the realization of the benefits of spending extended amounts of time with God. You know, you've heard it before. We're a microwave generation. We like things very quick and fast, you know. Uh, But Jesus was not that way, okay? Now, Jesus is emotionally drained. He's physically drained. And the next thing he does is he decides to climb a mountain to pray. Now, just track with me Jesus' journey here. So Jesus goes up the mountain to pray. He's praying up there. And he says about the fourth watch of the night, he comes walking on the water. So the fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So, he sends the disciples away in the evening. Let's just say around 7 p.m., sundown. He sends the disciples away to get in the boat. So, between 7 p.m. and at least 3 a.m., okay, which is like seven hours, is that correct? Five, six, six, seven, eight, at least eight hours, okay, between six to nine hours, Jesus went on the mountaintop to pray. okay. Now, this is a challenging um, lifestyle for all of us in this room, myself included. (laughs) When was the last time you spent seven hours with God? When was the last time you spent that kind of amount of time seeking God? If Jesus, the Son of God, in human form, felt the need... To draw his strength, not from sleep. The natural way of life is, I'm emotionally drained, I'm physically drained. The next thing is, I'm going to sleep, at least. He didn't draw his strength from sleep. He drew his strength from prayer. Do you actually see prayer as a place to draw strength from? Or are you looking for the next preacher to preach the next revelation that makes you feel good? Or are you looking for the next man of God, woman of God, to lay hands on you so that all your problems go? Are you looking for the next person to give you all the answers to your problems and everything turn around in one moment? Or are you realizing that prayer could be a place of receiving energy and strength? I'm not even making this up when I say there are times I've gone into prayer. And when I say prayer, there are are different kinds of prayer I go into sometimes. And sometimes... I would go into what I call just silent prayer, which is just waiting on God. The times I've gone into those kind of, kinds of prayer, for hours, I've gone in tired, depressed, and discouraged. <laughs> and I've come out feeling like I've just been on holiday, and I'm so encouraged. <laughs> Physically, emotionally, spiritually charged. Just by laying on my face and saying nothing. When he says wait on God, he actually means that. You wait. Wait on him. And you see, it can be one of the most difficult things because your mind is wandering everywhere. And if you practice how to be still, I'm telling you, it is true what Isaiah says. That those who wait on the Lord will truly renew their strength. Okay? They'll mount a wings like eagles. He says that. Now, Jesus, okay, is, is filling all these things. He didn't just send the multitudes away. You know something else he did? He climbed up a mountain. So, imagine you're Jesus. You're on the level ground of the multitude. You send them away. Why didn't Jesus pray after the multitude was left right where he was? What's the point of climbing up the mountain? Well, I don't know the full answer to that. All I know is this. Prayer, many times, is like climbing up a mountain, Have you tried to walk up several flights of stairs? It's not really easy on the flesh. It doesn't, I mean, unless you, even if you're extremely fit, it's still not easy to just keep climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. He didn't say he went up a, a hill. He went up a mountain. And he didn't pray until he was at the top of the mountain. I feel that he was aware that there was an encounter waiting for him at the top of that mountain. And to get to the place of encounter, he had to climb and feel the pain of the climbing. Many of us want to encounter God, but we don't realize there is pain in the process. Because God wants the flesh to die and God wants you to push past your flesh. Many of us start praying and we're so discouraged because we're not feeling God after we sang a worship song or after we prayed in tongues for two minutes. Like, God, I can't feel you. I'm giving up. You've never even started climbing the mountain. The fact that you're finding it hard to pray in tongues, the fact that you're finding it hard to worship is a picture of the fact that you are stepping up that mountain. So why do you want to give up when you've not got to the top? In fact, just a couple of days ago, whenever it was, I was having some time praying. I'm like, God, it feels really hard. But I was like, okay, I'm going to push in. And I pushed in, and I knew when I hit the breakthrough. Now, if you pray in tongues, you may be able to identify with this. There are times you start to pray in tongues, and you become self-conscious, flesh-conscious, become very conscious of your tongues and what you're saying. For me, this may not work for you, but for me, that is a sign that I am still in the outer court. (laughs) Now, there are times... If I learn to push long enough, hard enough, and keep going, I I go deeper. Now, I am less self-conscious, and I can feel like the tongues and the prayer is coming out of me like a river. And if I can push... A bit further, sometimes I can get to a place where I forget about my physical surroundings and I forget about who's next to me. I feel like I am not just in the river, the river is carrying me now. Wow. Come on, wow. Now, it's not every time I pray I get to that place. But I know that place is available for me. And that's the place of revelation. That's the place of peace. That's the place of encounters. That's the place where God wants us to be going deeper and deeper. We're saying come like a river, come like a river. It's not just ankle deep, knee deep. We want to be overwhelmed with the river of his presence. However, many of us don't know how to climb. Many of us are physically tired, emotionally drained. And we're like, God, I'm tired. I can't be bothered praying. Well, if you're going to use that excuse, read this chapter and look at Jesus. He had an excuse to be like, God, I can't be bothered climbing. My cousin has just been beheaded. I've just finished ministering to this crowd. I am tired, tired, tired. Lord, you understand. I'm just going to lay here on this bed and just have a rest. That is so easy to do. And this makes me realize Jesus' prayer life was more important to him than food or sleep. Until our prayer life becomes that important to us, I don't think we can be expecting to do the works that Jesus did. Because the disciples did not ask Jesus to teach them how to heal the sick. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to preach a nice message, even though he was a great preacher. The only thing they asked him to teach them how to do was how to pray. Because they knew something about his prayer life. We are the people that need to take that mindset. Lord, whatever it costs, whatever it looks like, I want to climb up this mountain. You see, even in this room right now, some of you are going through emotional turmoil. Some of you right now are disappointed with things you feel God should have done he hasn't done yet. And you're allowing that to keep you from seeking his face. You know, something I've learned is it's good to be honest with God. (laughs) You know, don't come trying to pretend and act like God can't read your mind God knows exactly how you're feeling. You might as well just tell him. However, like David, you don't stay there. You don't stay there. Your feelings don't define you. Okay? You can acknowledge, Lord, right now I'm feeling tired. (laughs) Right now I'm feeling drained. But I know that your presence is what is the best for me right now. Your presence is food to my soul, food to my spirit. So, Father, I am going to come before your presence right now. I'm going to just be before your presence right now because I know this is good for me. I'm not going to let my feelings and emotions keep me away from this place. Something I find amazing as well is the fact that, you know, Jesus, I was thinking about this today. Jesus healed a lot of sick people, but Jesus didn't heal all the sick people in the whole nation of Israel. Okay? Okay? Jesus, I mean, as far as we know in Scripture, everyone who came to Jesus for healing got healing. But there was a time he went to the pool of Bethesda, I think, and he only healed one person and walked away. Okay, so there's some interesting dynamics we need to be aware of. Now, Jesus walked up that mountain with grief in his heart about his cousin that has just been beheaded. He came off the mountaintop without his cousin being resurrected from the dead. However, he's walking on water. (laughs) See, sometimes we go into the presence of God and we want him to fix this issue right here. And God is like, you know what? Just get into my presence and forget about that because this is what I want to do through you. And this is what I want to do in your life. And sometimes our prayer, you know, sometimes someone says, okay, James, would you pray for me? As they're saying, James, will you pray for me? I'm asking the Lord, what do they really need prayer for? Because sometimes what you think you need prayer for is not actually what you need prayer for. The needs, you're like, God, I want you to meet this need right now, right now. God's like, actually, that's not what I want to do in your life right now. I want to do this in your life right now. So you've got to realize there are times where what we perceive we need is not actually what God sees that we need sometimes. Whatever happened on that mountaintop, something supernatural came on Jesus. Because while he's on the mountaintop, other gospels say he was able to watch his disciples in the storm. The disciples are struggling in the storm. So they're trying to roll against the wind. Okay, And... Um, Jesus appears to them at the fourth watch-ish. So he told them to leave around evening-ish. So they have been rowing for hours. (laughs) Hours trying to get through this wind and this storm. And they're struggling. And You know, what I find really interesting about this as well is the fact that the disciples find themselves in a storm. And the storm they find themselves in is the will of God for them. Is anybody here with me today? Is anybody alive in this room today? Not every storm is a demonic storm. Not every storm is because you're in disobedience. The fact that you're going through a storm does not mean you're out of God's will. The disciples are in the perfect will of God, but they are in a storm. And you know the amazing thing? It's dark, right and all the gospels say Jesus could see them in the storm that's supernatural vision right there <laughs> so you may be feeling like god has forgotten you in the middle of your storm but i want to say to you he can see you right where you are <laughs> you need to be confident wherever you are right now he can see you now he came out of a place of encounter They're going through a storm. The storm is trying to drown them. Because it's coming from a place of encounter, he walked on or tried to drown them. (laughs) When we learn how to live from a place of encounter, the things that should drown us, we start walking on it. I'm telling you. One of the prophetic words the Lord has been giving me is that He's wanting to release encounters in this season. And I feel like one of the words has been pushing me into is James, would you climb up this mountain? You know, I see myself sometimes as the disciples in the midst of the storm and God is like, yes, I know you're feeling like you're in the storm right now. I know you're feeling emotionally drained. I know you're feeling tired. But would you climb up this mountain because I have an encounter reserved for you at the mountain top. Do not give up. Do not give up. Do not be in a place where you're like, okay, God, you know what? I've prayed, I've sought you, yet nothing has happened. So I'm just going to I'm just going to just give up right now. No, no, no. We will not give up until we encounter him in a way that causes us to walk on top of what's meant to drown us. I'm telling you there is grace in this season for encounters and the grace that God wants to release in this season. is a grace that causes us to be over and not under. Okay. Now, as I read this passage again, I am just amazed at some dynamics here. Um, the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by waves, for the wind was contrary. Okay. Uh, I remember I was talking about this in our uh, night watch meeting recently. And I just saw something that I hadn't actually seen before. Um, but it really struck me. that. And I read, I, I checked this out in the other Gospels, and they actually do emphasize a similar thing. Uh, about the fact that the disciples um, were struggling particularly... With the wind. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. So, the disciples are struggling with the wind, and the sea is kind of beating at the boat and probably getting into the boat. So, that is, right here it says, uh, in the middle of the sea, they were tossed by the waves. So, they were tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary to them. So, they're moving in this direction, and the wind is contrary to the direction they're moving in. However, they're tossed by the What? So they're moving against the wind. They're tossed by the what? Waves. What is the wave? The wave is a picture of something you can see. And what is the wind? The wind is a picture of something you cannot see. Wow. So they're facing opposition in the unseen world. While the sin world is trying to drown them. Wow. Okay, now we could pause there and talk about spiritual warfare just there. <laughs> Because, because I am really intrigued by the spiritual realities that I know we live in, but many of us are so blind to. The invisible realm causing a manifestation in the visible realm. And this storm, however, is different to the other storm when Jesus was sleeping in the boat. Okay, was another stone in Mark 4 where Jesus was sleeping in the boat. And the same emphasis was made. When Jesus got out of his sleep, you know what he did? He did not rebuke the waves. He rebuked the wind. And then he spoke peace to the sea. So he dealt with the invisible realm with spiritual violence. And he released peace to the visible realm. And I think there's something in this we, as the people of God, need to be constantly reminded of. That we are not fighting flesh and blood. That the enemy has already declared war against us. And many circumstances we find ourselves in. While we're in the perfect will of God, the enemy could be stirring up things in the sin realm to cause us to feel like we're drowning. Everybody in your family is against you. Everybody at work feels like they're against you. Your body feels like things are going wrong and for some reason you can't figure out why. The doctors can't give you a diagnosis like, well, we don't know what's wrong with you, you know. Everything you try to do feels like it's just falling apart, even though you know you're in the will of God. When you know you're in the will of God, doing what God's called you to do, and physical circumstances seemingly are drowning you, you need to awake to the fact that the physical circumstances are not what you're dealing with. You're dealing with spiritual opposition. Okay? In one story, Jesus rebuked the wind and spoke peace to the sea. In this one, it says, as Jesus got into the boat, everything ceased. And John's gospel says they were instantly transported to the other side. When Jesus got into the boat, in one story in Mark 4, and I love this, because I've talked about this, in, you know, just over and over in many places, about how um, the disciples in Mark 4 were struggling as this storm was going on, and... Uh, Jesus was in their boat but asleep. Now, what I find interesting about how Jesus dealt with that storm is not so much how the, the fact that he rebuked the storm, uh, he broke the wind, and the storm ceased, is not so much what he did as it is where he did it from. He was sleeping. So He dealt with the storm from a place of peace. The only reason why he could deal with the storm is because the storm did not get into him. The disciples could not deal with the storm because the storm had got into them. Now, you know what I find as a preacher? It's far easier to preach about a storm than to go through one. (laughs) It's far easier to talk about, yeah, you know, than to go through the emotional turmoil of a storm. However, Jesus himself went through a storm, but he kept his peace. People of God, we need to fight for our peace. We need to fight for our peace. And when we're dealing with the storm, we have to deal with it from the place of peace. Not from a place of fear and anxiety and worry. In one place, Jesus rebukes the storm. In another place, Jesus just gets in the boat and instantly they're on the other side. He just tells me God has different ways of getting us out of storms. And I am amazed at how God trains us through storms. I'm amazed at what God does in us as we learn to maintain our peace and grow through the process as opposed to trying to just find a shortcut out of the process. You know, there's some storms that we cause ourselves because of our disobedience, like Jonah. I'm not talking about that, by the way. (laughs) So if that's you in here, you're a Jonah, you need to repent. (laughs) And if you don't know who Jonah is, just read Jonah later on and you find out what I mean. I'm talking about those who know they're in the perfect will of God and things seem to be going crazy. The point of this message I feel highlighted to me as I prayed and thought about this meeting is this. And I've already made this point, but I want to go back to it again. I think it's time for us to climb the mountain because there's an encounter for us at the top of this mountain. I feel like this season is a crucial time, and I received the prophetic word. It was a personal word, but it was something about this season between whenever the word was given earlier on this year and the end of the year where God was calling me personally to push into prayer in a deeper way, saying you and your wife, you just need to push into prayer because something is opening up in this season in the spirit that you don't want to miss because if you miss this moment you probably will have having to wait some other years to kind of catch up with what you've missed in this moment. So I am really challenged about learning how not to let the storm become a distraction in my prayer life. Because even when I talk about the multitudes, I think about the multitudes sometimes can represent the storm in my life where all these things are going on in my mind. And when I come to pray... All I'm thinking about are all these things. In fact, for some of you, you're not actually getting to pray at all. Because all your prayer life is, is just complaining to God about the things you're going through. And you've not actually got to spend time with God for God's sake. All you've done is just, God, this, God, this, God, this, God, I can't cope anymore. God, now, don't get me wrong. I believe God is listening to your prayers and God cares about us and God wants to meet our needs and all that. But I believe God is wanting us to get to a place. I think we said this earlier on, cast all your cares upon me because you know that I care for you. And then when you're really confident that, you have, that your cares have truly been cast on God... From my experience, I can enter into a deeper place of prayer and those issues not still be a burden yeah. because I have I've pushed past those issues. Now, you come out of prayer and it's not that like the situation has changed. John the Baptist is not resurrected from the dead, but you've changed. Yeah. All of a sudden, something different has happened to you now that was not something you had before the time of prayer. It's these kind of people that encounter God on the mountaintop that I believe are going to change the world. I want to ask you, have you encountered God on the mountaintop? Or are you still stuck with the multitudes? Or are you like the disciples, just stuck in the storm? Have you pressed into prayer to the point where you know You've touched heaven, and you know heaven has touched you. Wow. Have you stepped into that place? Because I want to say to you today, in spite of the problems you have right now, in spite of the emotional pressures you feel right now, in spite of the physical tiredness you feel, the physical tightness you feel right now, I believe there is an encounter reserved for you, but you have to learn how to climb. Are you ready to climb? Thank you, the two people who are saying yes. <laughs> I I am challenged to climb because if anyone had an excuse not to climb is Jesus. I'm challenged to climb. And what the climbing means, is, what the climbing means is it's not gonna always feel nice on your flesh. It's not always gonna feel, you know, goose you're not always gonna be feeling goosebumps. The Bible says we're changed from glory to glory. As we behold him, I'm I'm amazed about why Jesus always wanted to pray on mountaintops. It, It feels like God just likes mountaintops. When you look at what happened in the book of Genesis and how the whole nation encountered God, there was a particular mountaintop God descended on. Moses went up that mountaintop. Something about that. Jesus just loved the mountaintops, and he had incredible encounters. Elijah and Moses appeared to Jesus on the mountaintop. In fact, that passage where he says, Elijah and Moses appeared to Jesus on the mountaintop, if you read it carefully, it says, after six days, something like that. After six days, then I think they climbed the mountain, and then you know and i 've always wondered why you had to you know emphasize the number of days there. Who knows perhaps they were waiting on God all that time, perhaps that was part of the the preparation process for the encounter that God was about to release. so I want to say to you, do not despise the difficulties you 're going through right now. do not despise the uh, the stresses and the strains you may be feeling right now actually I want to encourage you to use them to your advantage to press into the presence of God do you understand to stand with me we want to encourage you to sign up again I have sound, I've signed up again and when I say that I will explain what I mean by that in a moment I have signed up again to seek God hundreds of times (laughs) every now and again the storm starts to distract me I'm like okay I need to sign up again and what what I mean by signing up again is make a resolve again in my heart even though I've made that resolve ten times (laughs) I'm going to resolve again in my heart that Lord I'm going to seek your face Thank you for tuning in to On Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode. For more information and teachings, go to www.prayestorm.org.